Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Just before we kick into everything else, I'm going to invite a really good friend of mine up. Uh, something has just um, uh, been going on the last week um, where a, a number of our guys, uh, our family, um, have gone down to Stanmore Tops to journey uh, this thing called Navigate. And in that, uh, one of the experiences is uh, summer school. Uh, and it's a very, very impactful week where uh, God shows up Individually, as a whole, his presence is just completely uh, consuming everything that goes on there. So I'm going to invite Max up and yeah, give it up for him as he comes up. Now, this was a man that didn't, um, journeying whether he's going to be doing uh, what's called recharge this year. Uh, I was so glad when he turned around and said, yeah, he's doing it. He doesn't know why, but he's still doing it. Um, and I'm just going to hand over to him and just ask, what happened during summer school? To start with, uh, if I'm on, yep. Um, I'm an ex-motor mechanic, so I know what recharge means to a car. But... I went away just blank, just going along because what Adam said to me made sense. But uh, I thought about it and I took away with me um, 68 years of a story. And um, I've been in this church for 50-something years. Um, and, And my story is much thumbed and complained about and spoken about and and I've always looked at you guys and our church, our churches, kind of from an outsider glass, if I could describe it like that, looking in, enjoying what you're doing, but never sort of feeling like I actually belong or I deserve it. Um, and anyway, I, these things I took with me, these ideas I took with me, I got to meet people uh, like Ian, who... Um, kind of threw everything I believed into a bucket and blew it up. And I thought, now what do I do? What? You know, I would say to him, but, you know, and he would kill that bit and say, no, this bit, and pray about that. And so it was just an amazing change of everything. And by the end of the week, I felt I got inside the building and was sort of part of it. But I had amazing um, people, young people that you're only getting to know. And I was an adult and they weren't younger than me. We were actually mates and they, they shared with me. Uh, and people down there, I would like to see our churches do it. People down there knew my name and I had no idea who they were. And the thing that really changed the weekend for me was that we went to the beach and it was going to be a long, hot day, and the beach was um, hot to walk across, and the water was really savage going from uh, left to right with a, with a rip. I actually witnessed Judy uh, dunk herself into the water, took a, photo, took a photograph of that. But, um, but there was just so much incredible 
love and concern for people. And coming off the beach with my, uh, I suppose that's a young way of saying it, my roomie, um, he, uh, I just had on something and I felt it go in and turn. And then an instant sort of swelling on my foot happened. And I thought, I'm not going to get off this beach. And um, it, was re- it was my right foot, which everything happens to my right leg. Um, and I was struggling. I had, you know, I, I, you would have experienced it. You put your heel down, you put your toe down, you're trying to find somehow how to walk on this really, really hurtful, painful foot. Um, and I got up to the off the sand and onto the, the wooden um, made track so it won't wear away and through the scrub and I had to walk with something and I found a stick on the, on the left-hand side and I grabbed it and then my, uh, my roomie said, no, he had this and he gave me this, the stalk from the umbrella and I got off the beach just, just, just to the campsite and I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible, I'm here to, here to tea, how am I going to put up with this? And it was really aching and really sore and luckily um, when I sat down they helped me and on a bench and somebody there was a nurse and she was trying to get this thing out of my foot and being so fat I couldn't see the bottom of my foot anyway and, um, but it was something that was there and it was really really sore, really painful even ice hurt and uh, I thought this is good and another whole day I'm in hospital so anyway um, they took me by car and I went with a couple of absolutely amazing guys uh, God-given guys and Gaz and Mitch and they got me to the hospital. They're joking all the way and I'm going, oh, gee, hurry up and get there. It's, this, is, this is bad. This hurts. And we got there into a wheelchair, fast track into um, emergency section, fast track. Two hours later, um, I got to go into some sort of room where they check you out uh, and that and the other guys stayed at the at, in the waiting room, and the lady, oh, they put a bandaged tourniquet on because it looked like there was a red stream sort of going up across my foot and up into my ankle, so they thought maybe that'll slow the poison down. Anyway, um, she unwound this mummy thing off my leg, and um, she said, "What am I looking at?" I said, "Oh, well, there's a," and it was gone. My pain had gone. Everything had gone, and I was so embarrassed. And and she said, "Well, well, okay. Well, we'll send you to uh, ultrasound or an X-ray, and it might prove something to us, or might be something further in." So, yep, half a tennis match, and I got to actually go in and see the the uh, X-ray, and and then another half a tennis match. I had waited for someone to pick me up because I wasn't allowed to go back to extra uh, to emergency myself. And man, it's horrible just sitting there by yourself. Um, but I got back to where Gary and um, Mitch were uh, preaching, uh, to talking about God stuff, but it was almost preaching to everybody else that was sitting around them. And, I, and I'm sort of ducking because it's embarrassing. And um, I felt embarrassed, but anyway, you were sort of going, shh, 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 but they were talking about how great God was. And then um, the doctor came and took me into the proper room and she examined it and um, while she was away getting uh, the tetanus needle, um, I'm standing on my foot and trying to make it hurt. And um, 
I think this is not right. This doesn't happen. Um, and then the, when she came, well, when I first, sorry, I missed a bit, but when I, when the first nurse took the bandage off and said there's nothing there, I just looked at her in her face and I said, well, well, who prayed then? And, and that wasn't me. You know, I don't pray like that. And, um, so the doctor, we spoke and laughed about stuff and all the time I'm trying to make this, find this thing that was in my foot. So about 12 o'clock at night or so, we got back to the camp and, and I just couldn't believe it. And I had, I couldn't wait till the next morning to go and ask that nurse. You actually saw it, didn't you? There was something there. And also a couple of other people who were trying to grab it out too with tweezers. And so, um, God worked. You know, even though I don't understand it, there was something there. There really was. So for me, the, I got 12 months of this. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and they've even, um, signed me up to somebody, um, who I've never met as a mentor and I've never had a mentor and, and they're going to make me, you know, do things that I'm probably reluctant to do. But, uh, but I, I wish for the church to have that love. I wish for the church to, to know these guys as adults as to, in thinking and, uh, and where they came from and to know their stories. I've always said to Maori that I'd like to write stories about stuff. You guys collectively, have amazing stories, no matter whether you think you do or you don't. If God's worked in your life and, and, um, yeah, shush. And, um, uh, yeah, just seek Him more. He's real. He works there. When people were talking to me, uh, like Ian was talking to me about stuff, I went away thinking like the guy that, and forgive me, it was in the chariot. With some, with some famous guy on and saying, well, there's the water. Why can't I be baptized? I wanted so much more information. Give me more. Give me more. Please be like that yourself. Look for more because church is, is a good place to go, but you want more. You need more. You need God in your life to actually work. Hear him. Hear what he says because he's talking to you. You just got to listen. So I, I learned heaps. Wow, that was just a glimpse of what happened during the week on summer school. And um, if you guys have journeyed with Max already, you would already see in his face just that sense that something's different. Sweet. So, which is a good interlude into inviting Ian up. So can you join with me as a church to pray for Ian? Um, and then I'm going to hand over not to Ian, but to the Spirit. And we'll go from there. So, Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful man of yours, your child, um, your vessel, Lord. Lord, I just pray right now that the words that you've prepared in his heart are not of you, uh, that the words that he speaks are speak, spoken because of you. Uh, and, Lord, I just pray for... Um, an impartation of something that is completely seems unnormal, but is normal because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. Do you know what? I'm preaching from up here. Sorry about that, but uh, I was told that the sound is better from up here. You can pump the volume, and I've got a quieter voice. Um, so you need it to be pushed up a little bit. God's good, isn't he?
Yeah, and there are very few people. I want to. I wasn't going to start off by saying this. I'm. I really. Um, I'm more concerned to find out what God wants to do than what you want. Yeah, I'm more concerned to find out what's on God's heart for you than what's on my heart for you. And you may find that partway through I may stop and, and all I'm doing is actually asking God, God, are we doing all right? What do you want to do next? I've asked him to actually, I'm, I came out of a Catholic background and so anything that was like anything Catholic, I was against right? because I got saved in a Baptist church. Now, that, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that the Catholic church is necessarily wrong. I'm not going there. That's not the point. God never pulls down unless it's Satan's work. He pulls down. But he doesn't rubbish his children. And I know some fine people who are saved in the Catholic Church. Um, and I know some fine people who are not saved in the Protestant Church. <laughs> and I wish they were saved. So it's just got very... Um, I have a very slight list, but when you put it so trebly, can you bump the bass up for my sake? Otherwise, I'm so aware of that that I won't... Thank, thank you, that's great. I won't be aware of what I'm actually saying. Uh, I'd be more aware of my speech impediment. So God's heart is to release us to life. And when I was in the Catholic Church, I had no idea because it was always in Latin. I had no idea what was being spoken on. And uh, I go, but one day I was sitting in church and I asked God to show me his son. And as I looked, a light came through the window. And I don't know whether you're into this. I'm not, actually. But so, And a light came through the window and seemed to split up and highlight certain people in the church. And I went, uh, I was 10 years old. So for me, this is all new. Yeah? I was about 10 years old. And I went, what is that about? Because when I looked, I knew that there was no way that light should split up like that. You know, it, it wasn't a stained glass window. It wasn't a, a window that had blemishes in it. It was just a straight bit of glass happened to be and the sun just came in. But the sun just moved across the church and hit different people. And I went, and so my 10-year-old brain is trying to make sense of what I'm seeing. And all I could come up with was, these people were actually children of God. And so I went and told the priest, and he clipped me round the ear and told me not to be so stupid. And so I didn't really go to the Catholic Church anymore, because as a 10-year-old, you feel that that's enough to turn you off. It doesn't take much, does it, to be turned off what, where, what God is wanting to do? It only takes us to be a little bit unthoughtful and uncaring. So then I chatted to the guy who was the, uh, our scripture teacher at school, because we used to have to have religious education. And he told me not to be stupid. And so that was Christianity written off. So I got into the occult. Doesn't take much, does it, to move you away from the things of God. And what I want to say today is we were actually born to reflect the glory of God. That is the designer's intent for your life. It's not to show, look, 
I've studied theology, I can go down a whole load of stuff. But what I want to say today, it's God's intent that I reflect who he is to the world around him. And I heard somebody pray, and I can point out who they were, so sorry, I'm not being picky on you. Um, please hear that. I heard somebody pray the other day, um, God, I don't want anyone to see me. I just want them to see you through me. God wants you to be seen with his glory flowing through you. Yeah, because the world knows what God looks like. Even the non-Christians know what God looks like. They know because all you have to do as a Christian is do something wrong and they'll tell you exactly what they expected you to perform like. So they know they don't need to have a picture. What they need is to see transformed lives transformed into the image of God. Now, I used to smoke. I was up to about between 80 and 100 a day. Yeah. I figured out how much... I, I, how many houses I could have bought with all that money over the years when I was a smoker. And, and it was, back then, I could buy a house for £5,000. I'm also a, uh, what's the word, what did you call yourself? You were naturalised. I, I, I always call it neutralised. And so I, yeah, I, I was born in England, you can tell by my colour of my skin. Um, <laughs> and I'm a adopted to this country. Um, I still hold my citizenship in England as well. So I can't be a politician, obviously. Um, but here, here we have what God wants to do um, is to draw us to a place where we begin to understand it's not about our intellect. It's not about what we've learned. That is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying be a, you know, be but we're told to be led by the Spirit. Let me read you a scripture. Galatians 5.16 So I say, walk by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, I'm fairly simple these days in my understanding of theology. Um, I look at it and go, if God says it, probably he means it. So, unpacking that verse. If you're led by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, yeah? Where does that put my intellect? Just asking. In the Spirit or in the flesh? Puts it in the flesh. Tell you how I can tell you whether that's real or not? All I have to do is turn the air conditioning off, turn the fans off, and your intellect will tell you you need to get out of here. No matter how much your spirit is wanting to hear what God wants to do, your intellect and your body will hijack what the spirit of God is wanting to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was going to start off by saying there's a couple of assumptions I'm making. One is that you like me, uh, and the other one is that you've actually come to meet with God um, and not necessarily with each other it's great to meet with each other but I want you to have an encounter with God for me to be able to see that happen I need to actually get to talk to your spirit not to your mind because your mind will filter out and you will be led by your mind and you know when we lead people to Jesus so often what we do is go here's the four spiritual laws 
Do you understand this is what it is and Jesus died for you? Do you understand that? Yes, you're in the club. Where did we ever get that from? A lot of people who sat around and figured out how we should be. That's done here. Do you know how I tell whether somebody's encountered God? Their spirit does something to my spirit and I know that I have been in the presence of someone who is godly. There are very few people, and it's a sad tale, I would not, like Max has got a mentor coming for him. I hope he's a godly mentor. I'm sure he will be because John and Marianne or somebody will organize him for you. Um, there are very few people that I would let mentor me because I don't trust people. I need to know who they are in God, and I only find out who people are in God when I see them pray, when I see how the Word of God starts to read them, and how they look at the Word of God. And so, for me, it's important to actually take away some of your intellect today. Just get it, just moving it slightly out of the way. Hope you can cope with that. Can you cope with that? Not a lot of you. <laughs> These guys who've been with me this week can cope with it. How are the rest of you doing? Does it, is it making sense? Yeah, if the least of it's making sense, I'm appealing to your mind so far, all right? But I still want to appeal to your spirit. So if you're led by the spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. That puts your spirit in control of choosing godliness for you. Because God's spirit speaks to your spirit and draws you to life. The Bible says that Jesus has gone to heaven and although we in our intellect say that Jesus is living in my heart, guess what? Sorry, it's the Holy Spirit who's living in your heart. Because theologically, theologically it says of the Holy Spirit, his ministry is to take the things of Jesus and apply them to you. Yes? Or have you got a different Bible? See, I'm very simple in the way that I look at Scripture. I go, this, if this is what you're saying, then I need to figure out, how do I walk in this? How does... Helen said to me, don't go down any rabbit holes. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've gone off well into rabbit holes. You need to know what God is wanting to do, not just what your mind is expecting to see as you look at Scripture. And uh, I want to take you on a bit of a journey. We had a devotion Every morning, six o'clock in the morning, all these young guys, as well as us old guys, got up, and some of us were even present, you know, which was great. And we had morning devotions and prayer time together for probably an hour, I think. And uh, six to seven, no, about an hour and a half. Ah, oh, 6.30, sorry. We got up at 6.30 and went... Went to the prayer time at 7.30. No, sir, 7. Was it a 6.30 start for the prayer? Great. You can see I wasn't present. I, I, I sent my body along ahead of me and somewhere in the way. But we had a reading and, and, and what they did is they read chunks of scripture and read a proverb, read a psalm and read a bit of Matthew. And it was amazing, each day they just read the next proverb, the next psalm, and the next bit of Matthew, 
And it was amazing how God tied things together. But one thing on the very first day, one thing that struck me was everyone else's verse. I had the same version of the Bible that everyone else had, except in mine, it had put in on um, Psalm 25, verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Actually, verse 1 is, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Everyone else's was different. And I went, well, look, check, yeah. And even other people were checking my Bible, and it was actually the same Bible. But mine was different. Now, it may be that it's a different, but it was the same translation. So when God does that, even at 6 in the morning, or 6.30 in the morning, whenever it is, I can't remember, you need to take notice that God is doing something. My mind will miss that. My mind will miss that. But my spirit goes, God, are you trying to say something to me? And I have to unpack with God what he's doing. So, when God says, Ian, take note of this, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, then I go, okay, so what is my soul? And I've heard it said, and I'm, I'm quite comfortable with this, my mind, my intellect, and my emotions, or my will, my intellect, and my emotions. Yeah? Would you be comfortable with that reference? Another, another thing says, the essence of my being. So everything that makes me me, that is what I'm lifting up. So tell me, why would you lift anything up to God? You can call out, honest. And even if you're wrong, we won't shame you, because we don't believe in shame, only conviction. Come on. Exactly. You give it to him. Why do I lift anything up? Why do I lift my hands up in worship? I'm wanting all that I am to be in the presence of God. I'm, I'm wanting to release. And God wants something totally different. He wants all that he is to be inside of me and present. Isn't that awesome? There's this divine exchange that God brings. When I give everything to him, he gives everything to me. Yeah? And it's beautiful. I've got a huge rabbit hole to run down, but I'm going to avoid it. I'll shoot the rabbit first. Okay, <laughs> move on. The passage I really want to get to is 2 Kings 3, uh, verses 1 to 24. Now, actually, I'm going to stop. When we were coming up, I was asking God, we were driving up, we'd driven across from Perth to Geelong, we um, were blocked by the fires for a number of days, and I thought, God, we'll go through the centre of Australia, I've got four-wheel drive, fancy doing that, I'll step back because it's sounding a bit tinny again, um, I've got a four-wheel drive, we'll go through the centre, and uh, lo and behold, when I googled it, there's a warning now, it wasn't there before, but there's a warning now, it's flooded across the centre. Okay, um, it's great. There's a drought and fires blocking the, the main highway across the Nullarbor, which is how we'd driven there. Centre is out of the way. I'll go up and over so I can get back in time. Getting everything geared. I'm trying to buy a roof rack to put on the four-wheel drive so I can put cans on and water on and all that sort of stuff. Lo and behold, two cyclones are coming, and so they've closed the road there. So there's no way out of WA. Now, you've got to go 
Yeah, yes, I even looked at, can I put my four-wheel drive on the Indian Pacific, get it to Cook Town, uh, uh, Cook, Cook something or other station, and then go the 170 k's down from there by road. But it would cost an arm and a leg, and I wasn't prepared to get rid of an arm and a leg. But you have to take notice of what, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? If you're blocking my way out, there's something you're doing, and I need to investigate it and look for it. So on the way up, I'm praying. We, we, we landed, landed in um, Geelong. We had about two and a half days, and then we drove up the 1,000 kilometers, 980 kilometers up to um, uh, Wollongong to the winter school. And on the way up, I'm going, I'm going to be at Penrith. What have you got on your heart? And as I started to pray, and uh, I pray in tongues, and I uh, don't know what your theology is, but I find it in Scripture, so I'm comfortable with that. If you want to dis- dispute with me, feel free to come and talk to me. I will have a little dialogue with you, gently, because I'm, I'm gentle. Um, and I was praying in tongues, and suddenly the presence of God filled my part. I don't know whether Helen felt it, but um, filled my part of our motorhome when I was driving. And God said, there are four people. And the reason I'm saying this is because I'm a coward and I want to avoid this. I put it on the last bit of my notes, but I'm saying it now so you hold me to it. There are four people who have been thinking about dabbling of praying in tongues. And they've tried it and they think that they're just making it up, so they've stopped. So if that's one of you, if, if you're one of those people, I would like to pray with you at the end. All right? God's actually said, it is from me. It, you know what you are doing whoever you four are and there may well be more than four that's fine God always does that but whoever you are God's actually saying it was me right you were trying and you thought you made it up it was actually me right what stopped it was your mind stepping in to what your spirit was discerning and do you see how important it is to be led by the spirit and not the mind yes hope you're with me because you don't seem that you don't seem you're that with me All right, so I did that because I'm a coward and I wouldn't have shared it by the time I got to the end of this. Just saying. All right, let me get to my passage, 2 Kings 3.24. 2 Kings 3.1. Let me read this bit of scripture. This is about somebody who um, starts to work in... Now, why didn't that do that? You know what? I might have to revert to a Bible. Wow. Instead of my uh, iPad. Two Kings, one, one. Bible. Don't you love it when uh, technology fails you? I, I, look, I don't mind. I'm Two Kings, one, 24. What version do you use? Oh, great. Yep, that's the one I was using it in. It's all right, your pastor can't find it. Oh, he did. (laughs) Thanks, thanks, Adam. Hooly dooly, look at this Bible. I must get one of these when I'm a pastor. Starting at at, uh, verse 1 of 2 Kings uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat. 
who reigned in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sin that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. King Misha of Moab was a sheep breeder. Never thought a king would be a sheep breeder, would you? He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of a 100,000 lambs and the wool of a 100,000 rams. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joam promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent messages to the king of Jehoshaphat um, of Judah, Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in the battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat asked, what route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies travelled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days, but there was no water for the men and the animals. Let me just stop there. Who would like to follow any one of these kings into battle? No takers? You really don't want people who haven't taken into account what the heck they're doing, do you? Yeah? This is where I was saying before, I trust very few people and I would get behind very few people to follow into battle because I've seen too many who like to be a leader but haven't learned how to be a follower or submitted to God. One of the people I would get behind is a guy called Andrew Ball who is the executive director of Church of Christ New South Wales. I get behind him, why? Because I've tested his heart on numerous occasions and I've found it to be a heart of integrity and love. Does he get it right all the time? No, he doesn't. Is this being recorded, by the way? Going up on your alley crate. <laughs> Andrew Ball's a really nice guy, you know, I just, just want to say, no. Um, but I've tested his heart and I've seen him process stuff. Do I think that he gets it right all the time? No, I don't. Do I get frustrated when he gets it wrong? Yes, I do. But I would follow him into battle even if it cost me my life. Now, there's not many people I would say that about. I would actually follow Adam into battle even if it cost me my life. And there's certainly not many people I would say that about. Adam doesn't know I was going to say this. But, you know, there are some people I get to mentor. I mentor a, a, a number of people. And uh, one of them is a guy called Daz. I don't know whether you know Daz. But I'd happily have Daz mentor me. I see God in him to the extent and a passion for God and a heart for God that I go, dude, why don't you just mentor me? You know, I'd do that with Adam as well. And there's something about honor that I think is missing from our churches and our generations that we've forgotten how to honor people for who they are. That was just an aside, bonus. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us to let the king of Moab defeat us. But the king Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, 
is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. Here is a king who really shouldn't have been with the other two. But he was compromised. Do you want to know why he was compromised? He was married to Joram's daughter. And so there was a family or familial call on his life to actually do what was not necessarily right. And isn't that a hard thing when we have to choose between what we know is expected of us and we look as someone who is a betrayer or we look dumb and yet God's spirit is leading us to do something different. Does that make sense? Good. So that's appealing to your mind. But in your spirit, does it raise something that's saying, God, I, I just want to walk. I want to walk enmeshed with your spirit. I don't want to walk just based. Look, God gave you a mind as well. So I'm not, please hear me. I'm not saying don't use your mind. But discern with the spirit. Sit with the spirit of God. What it is God is saying. Because what comes next would not necessarily be what I would expect anyone with a rational, logical brain to come up with. All right? So watch for this. Whenever you come across anything like this in Scripture, it bears looking into because God is trying to reveal something to you. How are we doing for time? 5 to 11. What time do you finish? Just keep going. Is that all right? I, I, I want another worship song, though, before we finish. You'll see why in this. One of the king's, uh, one of the king Joram's officers replied, Elisha, the son of Shaphath, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. In one of my versions, it says he poured water on the hands of Elijah. So when somebody tells you they're a PA, they just pour water. Sorry. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, king of Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elijah. Why are you coming to me? Elijah asked the king of Israel. What I want to know is, why was Elijah there? Why did he go off into the desert? See, there's sometimes that you do, you know, there's no way that God would have him in that situation unless God wanted to use him in that place. So sometimes my brain would kick in and go, there's no way on God's earth I'm going with you three kings. And God's going, son, I want you to go. Yeah, but it doesn't make, yeah, yeah, but I want you to go. And so you go. And even when you see that they haven't got enough water and they're wandering in the desert and you're going, this ain't going to end well. God's going, got this, just keep quiet. Yeah, but shouldn't I tell them to stop and go and get some water? No, just keep quiet, I'm in this. Yeah, but I can rescue them. Yes, but I want to rescue them. Stop it. Just do what you're asked to do. Why are you coming to me? Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. And if you know anything about the history, yes, they were. But King Joram of Israel said, No, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother you with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. See, there was something about honor. Honor 
earn something somewhere. Even if at the time that you do it, nobody is watching. Honor earns something spiritually somewhere. Does that make sense? Now bring me someone who can play the harp. Thank you, Musos. I only I can only remember Maddie. Is it Maddie? I can only remember Maddie's name, so sorry the rest. Love the worship this morning. I thought it was great. Alex, I remember your name. Dude. <laughs> so soon forgotten. <laughs> yeah. But great time. But here, here, the first thing this guy does, you've got three kings, and I forget how many thousands of people in their armies. I think it worked out to something like 10,000. It might be more, might be less. Um, so all these armies, all their cattle, and they're all waiting for you to give an answer. And what do you do? Bring me the musos. And you think, what, is he going to sacrifice them? No, bring me the musos. Why? Because there's something about worship that leads us into the presence and the purposes of God. It realigns our spirit to take control and to submit our intellect to our spirit. and to actually. Because what sense does it make to worship a God that you can't see who isn't there? Makes no sense. But a God that you can't see who is there makes a lot of sense. That's spirit. That's not mine. So... When you start to worship, you change the atmosphere around you, even though the pressure on you is actually to come up with a solution. Yeah? We've come to you, give us, give us something really powerful to do. I'm winding this up deliberately. While the harpist was being, the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came on Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and your other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord. He will also will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the, be- the best of their towns, even their fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees. You'll stop up all the springs. You will ruin all their good land with stones. The next day, about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. So hang on, I missed a bit. Or it doesn't say it in your Bible. In mine, it says, fill this valley full of ditches. Right, because if water is going to flow, what will happen if it flows on the desert? It'll sink, it'll go in, whatever. Dig a ditch, what happens? It collects in the ditch, it makes a pool. Now, here is the thing. There were two things that God said he was going to do. One was he was going to provide. The other was he was going to defeat Moab. Now, I could dig my ditch. See, I long for the the Spirit of God to flow. Because in the Bible, often when it talks water, it's talking about the Spirit of God. And my thing is, are you building receptacles for the Spirit of God to land in, or are you hard soil that it's just flowing off? 
because you're not in a position to receive what God is wanting to do. So these guys, the last thing in your mind is, we're all dying of thirst, we've marched for five days, we're thirsty, now we've got to dig ditches? That does not make any kind of sense. What kind, can, we, can we ask a different God now? No, this is the answer, dig the ditch. Right? If I only dug my ditch that deep, the water would flow and the sun would still reflect off it. The next day about that time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It's interesting that it was at the time when the morning sacrifice was normally offered. Yeah? God, God honors the sacrifice of praise. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, the people of Moab heard the, about the three armies marching against them. They mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword, and they stationed themselves along the border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water, making it appear red to the Moabites, like blood. So I could dig my ditch just this deep, and the Moabites would come because they saw the sun reflecting off it, and it would be like blood. And they assumed that the Israelites and the Edomites and the um, other ones had fought each other from Judah and had killed each other, and that was the blood that they could see. And so my little ditch would have still defeated that enemy. But what about the, I'll call it 10,000 men and all the cattle and all the other animals. I want to dig my ditch so others can swim in it. Don't you? If you can, why would you just get enough to have a cup full of water uh, and then do your five days? I want to, I want to swim. I want a pool. I want an Olympic sized pool. I don't want to dig it, but you know, I want an Olympic sized pool. I want the presence of God so totally around me that his provision and his weaponry for defeating the enemy you know what they still they had to dig the ditch they had to position themselves they had to prepare the land and they had to wait for the promise of god sounds a little bit like the new testament doesn't it let me give you a history lesson churches of christ who who's who knows what the churches of christ are oh come on Anyone? Anyone know what the church? I'm not going to ask you any more questions. Don't worry. Do you, do you know? Do you know that you're a Church of Christ? You do know that. Yeah. All right. Let me give you a history lesson around your church, because I was I, I was brought up a Catholic. What do I know about? It? And then I was born again in a Baptist church. Then I was filled with the Spirit in a Methodist church. And I was fellowshipping in an AOG church when I was called to pastor a Church of Christ. So I've got no idea what I am. But let me give you a history, seeing as you don't know, of the Church of Christ. Do you know, anyone heard of a thing called a, a Sousa Street? Yeah, Come on, you can, don't be ashamed. It's great, great to know. A Sousa Street was the real move of God that we see Pentecostalism come out of. Yeah, I'm not sure what year that was. Any Bible scholars here can give me roughly a year. Early, early 1900s, would it be? Late 1800s, early 19, something like that. I've got a feeling, I, I, in my mind, it's the, the late 
1800s, but it could be early 1900s. And, and Azusa Street started, and there was this great move of God. Do you know Church of Christ came into being through a thing called, I've got to be careful how I say this, everyone thinks I'm saying Cambridge, but I'm saying Cane Ridge. Yeah, Cane Ridge, as in sugar cane ridge. In America, Kentucky, back in 1801, they had a conference in the middle of nowhere, somebody's farm. They were expecting at most about 2,000 people, at most. This is going back in the 1800s where they didn't fly in by helicopter. You know, they didn't come in via uh, four-wheel drive or anything like that. They had their wagons, you know, the, the, old, the old movies where you circle the wagons, the Indians are coming. Um, is that racist? It's not meant to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, circle the wagons, the Indians are coming, that kind of thing. That's how they traveled. And they were expecting about 2,000 of them. At most. And even then, they were trying to figure out how we can farm these people out so they, they had access to water, access to all sorts of things. Do you know how many people turned up? 20,000. On the money. Prophetic. <laughs> 20,000 people turned up. Why? Because they'd heard, word got out that God was on the move. And people were so hungry for whatever it was God was doing. In that movement, there was a guy called Barton Stone. He had a church in the, the Cane Ridge, and he took his congregation to that, and he was preaching. He went first, and he got smashed by God, and he came back and he told the congregation about it. And even as he was telling it, two young girls fell as if dead, and the Spirit of God came down and started to move. Let me give you a description I didn't write it down. Oh, yes, I did. Here we go. There was weeping. Do you see weeping much in your church? You moved away a bit from your roots, have you? There was groaning. And it's not the singing. There was groaning. There was shaking. There was jerking. Not just shaking, but jerking. There was unconsciousness. An aide to the governor of Kentucky, he sent his aide out to check out what was this thing going on. Because when you're a governor and 20,000 people gather, you're going to be worried that this could be a hostile takeover. This could be anything. Better go and check what it is. He sent his, governor and his, uh, his governor's aide, and the governor's aide said wrote, there were people lying over fences as if dead. There were people crying out. There were people confessing sin. There were people weeping. There were people shaking. And um, there were people standing on the edge mocking. One guy rode through and was mocking and trying to run down people. And one preacher turned around and said, the name of Jesus, stop. And the guy dropped dead on his horse and straight off. So there's lots of ways of responding to the presence of God. I know which one I don't want to do. Yeah? <laughs> I don't want to be riding my horse through trying to mock what God is doing. But the problem I have is my mind, you know, I've been in meetings. I was 
involved in uh, eldership of a church in England way before Tor- people heard of Toronto, the Toronto Blessing and the move. Uh, and some people go, it's off the devil. And some go, you know what? I wasn't there. I'm not going to say it. But if I see people who have been transformed by a move, then I tend to think that the fruit of it is God. Do you know how many missionaries are on the, on the mission field as a result of Toronto now? Thousands. Not just hundreds, but thousands as a result of what happened there. So I can't go, that wasn't off God. Because I don't know Satan sending out many missionaries to tell people about God. Just putting it out there. You know? So, so my mind goes, this can't be God. This can't be God. We had a, a woman in our church and, um, I, I used to teach on spiritual warfare in our church. That was part of my role and um, thing, and we used to do deliverance. So it wasn't that we weren't used to things happening, and this woman started absolutely laughing in the middle of the service. And so I went over and I said, you need to stop. She went, Ian, I can't. I was going, no, no, you can, because the spirit is subject to the prophet. Stop. She goes, Ian, I can't. Uh, and she was just absolutely laughing you know and i was going to say she's an old she was an old woman about 55 sorry i was only young at the time i'm a lot older now but she was about 55 ish and she just could not contain herself and it was an infectious laugh and i could see it starting to hit people around her and i went you sure you can't stop she went yeah i can't i went okay keep laughing because i'm not going to stop anything that might be off god and then, when I gave permission for it, God said to me, Ian, do you know this woman's life? And I went, a little bit. He goes, what has she got to laugh about? I went, nothing, Lord. He says, so isn't it all right if I have a laugh with my daughter? Her husband was an alcoholic who used to beat her, raped her twice, three times, and she had three kids. She didn't have anything to laugh about. She'd go home with no money for food and she'd have to try and find a way. She would go and work cleaning people's houses, trying to get money enough to to live. What did she have to laugh about? The presence of God. God reaching down and going, daughter, let's have a laugh together. You know what the Bible says? And this is why I say I'm, I'm not much of a theologian, but I just believe the Bible. The Bible says, in my presence is fullness of joy. So if you don't have those times of joy with God, can I suggest maybe you're not in his presence? Seems logical to me. I don't, you know, my mind kicks in and goes, that seems logical. But my spirit says, I just want to be in the presence of God. And God's invitation to you is how deep do you want to dig your ditches to allow the water of God to flow in? How prepared are you wanting to be to let? I I spoke this on a camp. I spoke a message around this. It wasn't this message, but it was a message around this on camp. And one of the leaders went, I've got a song. It's called Water to the Weary. And, and I went, you know, and I went, yeah, okay, because, you know, lots of people have lots of songs and some of them you wish they didn't sing. Um, and this was just powerful. The Spirit of God was all over. It wasn't he, Matt? Yeah, Matt knows the song. Matt was on camp. 
tell you a quick story about Matt to embarrass him. He was a guy who, just wave your hand because people are looking around to see who Matt is. Matt's the guy at the back on the right. Um, I sent Matt off down to the river to encounter God. Yeah, he said, what you need is to encounter the Spirit of God. Go off down to the river and don't come back until you've encountered God. He goes, but what, what about meals? And I said, look, if you really want one, I'll send a meal down to you. You know, um, What about if it goes past night? Well, if you need a bivouac, I'll send one down to you. Just don't come back till you've encountered the presence of God. That was about midday-ish. About four o'clock, he's back. I'm going, yeah, right, okay. And uh, he goes, uh, can, I, can I play drums tonight? Because he's a gun drummer. And, um, and I went, and, and I'm trying to discern in my spirit, God, have you met with him? And I, and I just saw a twinkle and I thought, yeah, okay, God's met with him somehow. Okay, play. So then Matt was playing and, and he was like, he was playing drums for the worship that, that evening. And it was like a smiley face. Uh, and one of the girls on this retreat that we've just been on articulated it, she said, God's spirit met with me and I can't stop smiling. My cheeks are aching and I can't stop smiling because God has met with me and he's done something inside of me. And Matt was just, he was drumming and smiling. So I went up to him afterwards and said, Matt, what was going on? He goes, Ian, amazing. I was playing and then God actually said to me, Matt, can I have a go? And he went, never happened before. I went, okay. And and so he said, God took over playing and I was doing things that I never do. I'd never done those before, but the drums were being played and God was having a laugh with his son, who's a gun drummer. But who's the best gun drummer out of the wall? You know, God. We make it so hard for ourselves because it offends our minds. God wants to draw your spirit to life today. Sorry I've gone on so long, but I, I want to, for those who, um, for the four people or more who have dabbled in speaking in tongues but haven't got the confidence that it's God, or if you just want an encounter with the Spirit of God, I'd like to pray for you. Um, Adam and others, um, we, we want to pray for you to release the presence of God greater we are only conduits, so I can't make things happen, just putting it out there. I can't heal you, huh? but I can ask the Holy Spirit to come down and heal you. So there may be healings. I'm, I've, I saw pictures of healings, and so I believe there will be, and I saw pictures. But I actually saw pictures of people getting healed while the musicians played, which is why I wanted them to play again. So I might just stop and pray, which I should have done at the beginning, but it's never too late. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you that your love is so powerful, so irresistible, and yet, Lord, you give us permission to, to resist you. But, Lord, I want to pray for the flow of your spirit, a fullness, yeah, that we would be led to worship and be utterly abandoned in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Lord, take your word, take what is off you, drill it home into our spirit, past our minds, past our emotions, and let your presence touch our hearts in Jesus' name.